Hello everyone. It's great to be back again for another week. I hope you had a wonderful weekend. Today we're going to continue our podcast series uh, taking care of and discussing the Noble Eightfold Path. Today we're going to be looking at Right Livelihood. Now, Right Livelihood is really essential, uh, especially as lay people. Uh, and even as clergy, to to be very much aware of. Uh, Because, again, the previous one being right action, and all of that being attributed to right effort, right views, etc. Now, all of it is manifested, of course, into the idea of action, what you choose to do with the majority of your days. So when they say livelihood, it's interesting, after action, they specifically put livelihood because that's something that the majority of people will spend the majority of their life doing. So if... uh, as a Buddhist practitioner, it's very important that we understand that that is in harmony with our practice and study. And ultimately, that's the main part I want you to take from this, is that when the Buddha made, especially so-called, as people would say, rules, we need to look at it for at a, at, at a different direction than how we may uh, do according to our, our birth culture. And this is something I want people to realize, that when we enter into Buddhist culture, it's a state of mind, it's a frame of mind, it's a different way of thinking that sometimes is not in uh, harmony with, for instance, uh, what your previous culture or birth culture might have been. That being based on, for instance, Judeo-Christian values. Uh, Buddhism looks at things very differently, and sometimes that can cause an issue and, and a misunderstanding of Buddhism. So sometimes when people... Uh, come to Buddhism, especially they may have studied uh, somewhat, you know, 20, 30 years or or just consider themselves Buddhist, they immediately start trying to adapt Buddhism to their cultural ideal. And I, I think there's a problem in this uh, because in, in order to do that, and, and when I, for instance, try to um, uh, assimilate Buddhism into our cultures, uh, our culture kind of not into the culture itself, but actually that it becomes a part of the culture as a subculture, right? Because the, the, the basic culture that we have is going to be perhaps different than our private subculture. Because America, for instance, is a, uh, a many different cultures, a melting pot of many different cultures and beliefs coming into one. But we as Buddhists should really understand what it means concerning Buddhist culture. So if you're a practicing Buddhist, what I'm trying to say is that you should think of yourself as Buddhism being your culture, not as Buddhism being culture of Japan or East Asia, etc. They are, but that Buddhi- that you are now part of Buddhist culture. Uh, because again, like I said, a lot of people will come from uh, their misunderstandings or misgivings from other culture, cultural backgrounds and try to rationalize or change Buddhism to fit that, which is actually changing the practice to fit uh, perhaps something that is, is not in accordance with Buddhism. So I just want you to be careful of that. That's why whenever I try to, uh, in this idea of bringing uh, a specifically an American Buddhism, uh, it's important that we understand and study extremely deeply these basic and most important roots to make sure that it's in harmony with the overall understanding and belief, core beliefs of Buddhism. Or else what has happened, if you look at Buddhism as it is now, um, originally in the early, uh, especially in the beatneck time, for instance, beatneck Zen, uh, the ideal is 
very different and in many ways very American, but it actually is not necessarily in accordance with Buddhism. There's there's a lot of misunderstandings because they took a little information and they said that their practice was Buddhism, but then they, of course, just put on top of all that their regular, their own personal beliefs instead of what the Buddha teaches. So I'm just putting that out there as a uh, take notice of. Um, and, and the reason why I say that is because it's very essential that when we look at our actions as Buddhists, um, they may be different than basic culture in the United States because most culture is based on uh, Christianity or Judeo-Christian beliefs. So those are those are in many times uh, quite different than Buddhist beliefs. So uh, we need to really understand that and make sure that our practice is in accordance with Buddhism. So with that being said, the Buddha's basic point of the right livelihood is, is actually extremely simple, but yet you can go into specifics to make sure and understand within the context of your own life. That when we do something, whether it's it's any of the, the eight no, Eightfold Noble Path, is that is it conducive to, first of all, the idea of practice? So is it conducive to the idea of meditation? So as we know and we've learned, everything we do influences our meditation. So Master Tantai talks about uh, the uh, five ways that we, what we need to actually rein in or understand uh, in our life, such as eating, sleeping, uh, drinking, etc. And even breathing, all of those things, body, mind, we need to regulate those things. And the way that we regulate them and the reason why we regulate them is not just following rules, right? It's to be to make an atmosphere or an area that is conductive to meditation, conductive to Buddhist practice. So that is the most important key point, a livelihood that is conductive to Buddhist practice. What does that mean? So first of all, it means that the livelihood should not cause us to... Uh, lose our mind, right? So therefore, uh, there are many things that if you create an action you do could adversely affect your practice of Buddhism because actually the practice of Buddhism is based on compassion and wisdom. So with that being said, there, there are some specifics that they talk about for lay people uh, that they shouldn't engage in. And again, if you ever have any questions concerning your own um, livelihood, please feel free to ask a uh, Buddhist teacher uh, to for more clarification. And so the first one, of course, is obvious because of the first precept, the idea of killing. So this is an idea of killing, the idea that you have a livelihood that involves killing. Now, this means specifically, of course, uh, animals, other humans, etc. And, and again, all of this is coming, and we'll see, comes down to the idea of intention. So the important thing is that we, uh, when we do something, we have to make a choice. And in that choice, we have our intention, right? We looked at that, and it goes all the way back to having the right, um, the right knowledge, the right knowing, the right practice, the right outlook on life based on the Buddha Dharma. So the first is killing. Uh, basically, it means uh, restricting our lives from... Uh, any kind of livelihood in, be part of or actually take part in killing. Um, and again, the reason why Buddhism is saying that is because killing is a very final thing. 
uh, there's you don't come back from it and also the idea is that it stops the 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 benefit or the potential for one to change so that that is something that we as uh, beings should be cognizant to be very aware of that we we want to give people the opportunity we understand that change is possible and so therefore we should do everything possible to give people the opportunity to change. And if we take their life or the animal or the other being take their life, that ceases. Or if you think of the idea of reincarnation, it takes a long time for that being to be reborn and then grow to the proper understanding. So we as Buddhists need to be mindful of that. The second, of course, is stealing. So uh, if you are involved in a livelihood that is involved in stealing, that means taking that which is not given, that which is not asked for. Uh, that That is, of course, one of the ideas that we have in right action, that immediately when we, when we have the thought of stealing, or as we said before, even lying, or even of killing, well, as soon as we put it into action, that becomes karma, which negatively influences, again, our practice. So if you engage in instant killing, stealing, your mind is not going to be able to be uh, relaxed and peaceful in order to practice samadhi, concentration, right? And then stable concentration. And then, of course, sati, which is mindfulness, energetic mindfulness. Very difficult if you have these kind of, how do you say, um, which I believe if you engage in these things, they make you ill. Uh, you know, these kinds of actions make you ill that to sit there and be peaceful and tranquil, uh, to have a tranquil and peaceful mind, which is conducive, of course, as I said, to meditation, to practice, would be very difficult. The third one, which is actually very interesting, is the slave trade. Um, you may not know it, but lots of religions, even though now it's, of course, frowned upon and they don't practice it, uh, is the idea that slaves were okay. Uh, Buddha uh, and the Sangha were very early, very early in history, um, especially amongst religions, because I'm sure it wasn't popular, because slaves, of course, mean money, means a workforce, all of that kinds of things. And a lot of times religion or spiritual beliefs are, of course, around commerce you know, uh, about making money for a select few and, and how those people interact with each other. But Buddhism, specifically the idea of Buddha objecting to the idea of owning another person, slave trade. So that means that if we, we, we should not involve ourselves or have a livelihood that involves the selling or abuse or the indent, like being an indentured servant or actual slavery as a Buddhist. Um, that, that, of course, is contrary to uh, tranquil mind. So it's interesting to think that. I keep, really keep that in mind, that actually in lots of religions, including Christianity, um, slavery was uh, in many ways uh, you know, uh, a part of the tradition, a part of the culture. But Buddha specifically came out and spoke out against slavery. Um, the other is poison. So that means creating poison, which would mean, of course, illicit drugs, uh, of course, in some uh, in the cases of sometimes uh, producing, uh, you know, uh, things that become vices for people, that poison people. Again, as we see, the idea of clarity of the mind uh, is the idea of poisoning one's mind, which, of course, if you drink poison, 
your mind is not going to be conducive for meditation. Next is also interesting, weapons. Um, specifically says, in, in especially for the clergy, the idea of the production of weapons. That means the taking of life. Now, this is really interesting because I even went a little deeper because, of course, obviously in, in Buddhism and even Nichiren Buddhism, there is a lot of, of like, for instance, famous sword-making families um, that are extremely devout practitioners. And it's interesting because even Nichiren Shonen had many famous swords that were made for him. Uh, it's interesting to look culturally at the idea of what a sword is, uh, first of all, as a piece of art, but originally uh, as a weapon. But actually, in the East, they have a different idea of the idea of something to protect the Dharma, which again, as I said before, Buddhists are not pacifists, okay? But specifically, they would say correcting, you know, making weapons like nuclear weapons. So, for instance, Nippon Zamyohoji, they specifically protest against the uh, idea of weapons, uh, especially nuclear weapons and any kind of weaponry um, being made. So, it, it really, st- in the state of mind, what the actual um, spirit behind. Again, the intention. So, be very careful that you don't go puritanical on people. Because this, again, how sometimes, because of our culture, we read things, we read into things extremely puritanical. So, therefore, of course, we use it as a way to judge others that they are perhaps not of the correct understanding and then of course of course that that's interesting to be able to judge others and to speak down to others is actually in in sometimes seen as a um a way of breaking the precepts and so therefore we we need to understand this within our own lives so the other is lying uh participating in a uh livelihood that is based on lying uh, and also is conducive to lying. Because again, by breaking these basic precepts uh, and also making these actions, which these are very specific actions, the amount of karmic baggage that they state that is that is involved in each of these is enough for you not to be able to practice, be able to practice meditation, to practice Buddhism. It's really fascinating because people really don't understand the idea of why the precepts uh, are kind of the first uh, as I was saying, the the eight limbs of yoga, the first one is yama, which in the Vedic tradition have some similar, but in the Buddhist tradition, Buddhist yoga, it's the five uh, precepts, which are the basic precepts that are the way that we socially interact with others. And then the second, the niyama, are the way that we regulate ourselves, okay, with the five ways of regulation. But what does this mean? It means that, first of all, we have to learn to be in harmony with other people and our society and social socially. Uh, we need to understand that interaction with other people. Then we start working on ourselves. So it, it's important to develop, and this is what Buddhism is naturally getting to, an awareness, knowing that how we act in public and with other people socially, as well as how we act privately, what we eat, how we sleep, etc., uh, impact our meditation. So w- without those things, which seem very... A lot of times people neglect those and just sit down and practice meditation. And this is something that hasn't really been taught because usually the technique of meditation, of sitting, breathing, etc., are taught, but not necessarily these ideas of these 
uh, both social precepts as well as regulatory personal precepts, uh, which again is making the mind and everything in, in that Buddhist practitioner's realm conducive to a tranquil life. And of course, practitioner's life uh, based in compassion and wisdom. So very important. A lot of times people jump right to the technique and think that the technique is the actual uh, purpose of Buddhism. But there is a lot of things that are involved. And that starts with, of course, one's lifestyle, one's beliefs, as we saw, views. And then, of course, once we have views, etc., then actions. So a lot of these things can be, you know, very subtle. They can be even more subtle. We can go into each of them. But again, the the basic concept that I stated at the beginning is the, the, the idea of the interference uh, to attain serenity in one's life. So the idea of Buddhism, idea of serenity, that is, of course, samadhi. Um, and, you know, again, when, when we look at it, we, we look at livelihood, again, because that is the majority of what people do with their life, that we realize how these things influence or directly remove us from practice, direct us off the path. Um, so therefore, you know, when we think of livelihood and we think of how we participate, the other is the idea of time, like what you, what you put your time in. As I always say, invest your time. You're going to get back. Um, so that also means that in some situations we have to um, participate. We have to um, work, etc. We should be very clear on our principles and ideas because these are, of course, conducive to meditation. But the idea, you can even think about it, is not only just saying whether it's positive or negative towards our, uh, our meditation, but how your livelihood influences your Buddhist practice. So if you are so, such a busy, obsessive person who is always working, etc., and can't let things go and, and, and spend that time for practice, then that, of course, is incorrect livelihood. And, and it's important to understand that because a lot of times people self-identify with what they do. Uh, there was a famous movie uh, with Jack Nicholson uh, um, that they were talking about. It was a comedy. And he asked uh, the one comedian, what, what, who are you? And, and of course, always they would say, well, I do this. This is my job, etc. And they would say, well, who are you? That I don't want to know what you do for a living. I want to know who you are. And again, these are, these are again coming into uh, perhaps... Um, conflict with these Judeo-Christian principles. So work itself is used in Buddhism for sustaining one's practice, not the other way around. Okay, We don't practice to sustain our work. We work in order to sustain our practice. That means that we first of all need to make sure that it doesn't interfere with our practice or cause harm to our practice, but that also we are able to, for instance, that it doesn't interfere in the idea of not being able to let it go, not being able to say, okay, now is the time of time to practice because we may be caught up in work or it takes up all of our time or it takes up all of our mental effort that we're exhausted. That is really important because, again, it comes down to regulatory, regulating one's health because without one's health, you can't practice Buddhism. And... Therefore, it's very important to evaluate uh, where one is. And, and again, this is the idea of 
establishing everything in practice and faith. So take the time to evaluate, you know, are you uh, being able to regulate and be able to maintain a steady and consistent practice? Or is your livelihood interfering with that? And so that in that way, that would be one of the mentalities, perhaps, that we all have to work through. Because, again, you come with lots of baggage from, you know, of course, pre, you know, religions that influence uh, culture, society, etc. But as Buddhism, we should be able to work through that to see what is proper and what is not. And then, you know, be able to overcome these ideas of these preconceived ideas. And again, it's important to know and understand another subtlety about Buddhism. For instance, the idea of killing, you know, karma is created in Buddhism by intention. Okay, one's intention. So if, if something like, for instance, um, uh, somebody used the example of that if somebody is driving a car and, and they're a truck driver and they happen to, um, lots of bugs are being killed by the car, um, that this perhaps is killing. But again, in Buddhism, the Buddha looked at it, was that your intention? Of course, we should always minimize, minimize killing and make sure that we're not intentionally doing it. That means, especially, they go into more detail, is it being killed for you, right? That's why they say a man of compassion doesn't put his room near the kitchen, right? So they're not, not closely engaged with the idea of killing even to the point of being around killing. So we have to be very careful that we're not going to the idea of extremes, which, of course, as we can see in some religions, as Jainism, which was, of course, the contemporary Buddhism, uh, in which they took the ultimate uh, practices that of even uh, sifting or filtering water, or, uh, for instance, using a broom and not wearing shoes or wearing a mask, that they shouldn't, uh, of course, ingest any bugs, etc., that is not the lifestyle that the Buddha was teaching. Uh, in many cases, that is seen, and I think that in the sutra, you know, when we talk about extreme, for instance, vegetarianism, uh, the idea that uh, that is the concept of Devidatta, the Buddha's cousin, who was, of course, uh, the, um, the, the person who challenged and tried to kill the Buddha and establish a different Sangha based on severity, based on this idea of uh, severity of precepts that uh, the Buddha, for instance, uh, would state the concept and move away from the idea of Vedic karma, which means it's a, uh, a kind of element in the earth, a justice system within the universe. But Buddhism says that we, using our mind, being mindful, right, having concentration, is the idea of having an understanding of our intentions. So that means we, we look at how we intentionally and uh, mindfully uh, interact with all things around us. So therefore, very important that we investigate our lives. And, and again, this is another way that the Buddha used to put us into harmony, that the majority of your day, what you spend your time doing, will make a significant and impactful influence on your meditation and practice and faith and everything so uh, please take a look at that and uh, consider that and uh, contemplate that and i hope this has been helpful for you if you have any questions of course please always contact me uh, and thank you very much for your participation participation today